This week, we begin our lesson, Guidance in Discerning God's Will. Something that everybody needs to know. How do I know what God wants me to do? I've got Johnny right here on the front row. He's a second-year law student at Texas Tech. Great school. Great kid. How does he know what God wants him to do with his life? How do you just, is it some nagging little thing? You know, what would Paul tell us? How would Paul answer that question? I sent an email out to the class, or Steve Taylor did on my behalf, telling you what this class would be about today. One gentleman who told me not to use his name sent an email back and said, how do I know what God wants me to do? That's easy. My wife tells me. <laughs> Is it that easy? Is it? I don't... I, you know, when you were growing up, did any of you ever get any of the occultic type toys? Remember the magic eight ball? You'd think real hard on a question and turn it upside down and it would tell you supposedly the answer? Did any of you ever play or see people play with Ouija boards? Okay, you'd be amazed in conservative evangelical churches generally view this stuff as something that's taboo and yet you'd be amazed at how many of us have, have experienced it in some way, shape, form or fashion. I'll never forget a few bouts with Chinese fortune sticks. Ever seen those? They got the little statements on them and you shake the little can and the first one to fall out is the answer that the Chinese gods are giving you for your life-provoking problem. Some folks didn't do that stuff. Some folks turn to the newspaper and read their horoscopes. Get their answer that way. Uh, I've been amazed at uh, where astrology has made its appearance just in our lifetime. Not just in the horoscopes, but with some very noteworthy people who look to the stars to give them guidance. How many of you remember this? of Aquarius. It starts out when the moon is in its seventh house and Jupiter allies with Mars and peace will guide the planets and love will rule the stars, which is happening while the Vietnam War is going on, I find rather interesting. Somehow that love will rule the stars and peace that's guiding the planets miss Southeast Asia. Not to mention all of the turmoil going on in America in the late 60s and in the middle 60s as well. So with this as background, I pose you this question. How do we discern God's will? Do we want supernatural answers? Do we want supernatural guidance? Would you like for God to write on the wall for you what to do? I mean, would you like that? I would love to have it written on the wall for me, especially the big decisions. You know, what house do you buy? What job do you take? When you're younger, who do you marry? Or when you're older, who do you marry? How do you handle a problem at work? How do you handle a problem at church? Those are the big decisions. How about the small ones? Which socks do I wear? I want to dress in the center of God's will. Does this shirt go okay with this jacket? 
You know, these are, these are the kinds of questions. Now, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a historical story that was written down by a fellow named Herodotus. Herodotus, if you're a history major, you've, you've heard of him because he's called the father of history. He was a Greek who wrote some of the first history. I brought some of his writings for us to look at. I want us to read a little bit of what Herodotus wrote with the Persian Wars. The Persians and the Greeks, they battled each other for hundreds of years. It all went back to Helen who was stolen. Helen of Troy, the most beautiful woman. She was kidnapped. You remember all of that? That supposedly, according to Herodotus, was the start of the Persian Wars. And there was a time we in the Bible have heard about the Medes and the Persians. The Medes gathered together their tribes and became the Persian tribes. And this is written about in this history by Herodotus. And so I want us to look at it for a moment. He says, Dioces then united the Median nation, that's the nation of the Medes, and no other, and he ruled it. The Median tribes are these. They had the Busai, they, they had the Paratikani, they had the Strucates, they had the Arazanti, they had the Budii, they had the Magi. So many are their tribes. If you look, this is a wonderful addition because this addition of Herodotus has the Greek on one side and has the English on the other. So we can go over to these words on the Greek side. And we can see here are the Magi. Magoi is in the Greek. M-A, that funny looking letter is a G. O-I. That's Magoi. The Magi, it, it, it's plural. The singular would be Magos or Magos. The plural is I. Okay? So, these, these guys, you read about them a little bit later on. These guys, when you read about them later on, have an opportunity to go to uh, King Xerxes because Xerxes is about to go to war with the Greeks and there's been a total eclipse and Xerxes wants to know what the eclipse is. So Xerxes goes and calls a Magos and he says, tell me about the eclipse. The Magos said, this is a sign from the gods of the desolation and darkness you will bring upon the Greeks. Xerxes is happy and he goes to war. Now, all that Herodotus has done is he's taken this tribe's name from a Persian tribe that supposedly had some ability to tell from the signs and the stars what the future is and what the gods were thinking. And the, these uh, Magoi, Magus, would take this knowledge and they would share it with someone. They're around today in two different ways in our society. The Magos today exist in the way we continue to use the word for their tribe. First, the Magi. We say it Magi to be Christian about it but they were from that same tribe. They saw the star in the heavens and they followed the star to the king. We, we don't know that there were three. We suppose three because there were three gifts. But the Bible doesn't really tell us how many there were. But you see that the, the way the word is used, it's the same Greek word. 
It's the same word Herodotus was talking about. These were the same folks interpreting the eclipse for King Xerxes. Not only do we have the word in our Bibles in that sense, but we still have it in another sense today. Anybody want to guess? Oh, ho, ho, it's magic. The word comes from that tribe. The Greeks used the word to reference legitimate dabbling with the supernatural magic. They also used it to represent trickery and chicanery and illusion. We still use the word in both senses today. We can talk about a magic show, which we know is just illusion, or we can talk about the arts of magic and what's, uh, you know, the pentagrams and the things of that nature. Now, why on earth would I spend time talking about God's guidance? Why would I spend so much time talking about magic? It's because I'm convinced, even as Christians, we have a desire, though we never say it in these words, we have a desire that God would be our personal fortune teller. We have a desire that he would be our magic eight ball or he would be our Ouija board. Now, we'll spiritualize it, and instead of reading the entrails of an animal to decide what the gods are telling us to do, we will pray and hope that it's that gut instinct or hope that it's an open door or hope that it's writing on the wall or hope that we can lay out a fleece like Gideon did and what we have to be very careful of as Christians is to think through where it's proper to think this way and where it crosses the line. I'm going to suggest to you it crosses the line in the following sense. We can go back and read, I have books if you want to borrow them, early Greek papyri. This is early paper that stayed around for 2,000 years because it's so dry over there. Especially in Egypt, they found a lot of this Greek paper. This has magic spells over and over and over again. We've just got hundreds and hundreds of them. And the interesting thing, when you read the magic at the time of Paul, you will find magicians would never seek the will of God in a matter. Magicians would always invoke the deity to do precisely what they wanted it to do. The key to magic back then for the pagans was not how do I decide God's will as much as it was how do I bend the gods to do what I want the gods to do. I tell you that because that's one of the things we need to remember as Christians. To keep ourselves as devoted in following God and not turn to superstitious magic Christians, we never ever try to bind God outside of God's will. Our desire as Christians is always got to be to understand what His will is, not to try and dictate our terms to God. Let me make another suggestion to you. God's never going to fit into our boxes. I would love to tell you I've got the perfect answer for you. I can tell you precisely how to know exactly what God wants you to do. 
You follow this one, two, three incantation and God is required to reveal it to you. I will bind God for you and tell you how he has no choice but to answer you. If you just do these things, God must tell you precisely what his will is. Really? Isn't that a magical incantation by definition? Now, instead of God choosing whether to reveal it to me and how to reveal it to me and what he's going to do, instead, I'm going to bind God and I'm going to declare God must, as surely as the sticks coming out of this shaker... And we may laugh and say, oh, those Chinese fortune stick people don't laugh. Don't laugh. And I'm not saying God can't work through these things. That's putting them in a box too. But I'm saying it's not typical. And and we Christians, how many of you have the Chinese fortune sticks and use them? Okay, nobody. Do you know how I know some Christians who use Chinese fortune sticks? Instead of having the stick, they put a Bible verse on it. And instead of shaking the sticks to see which one falls out with the Bible verse, they've eliminated the need for sticks. They just take their Bible. May I borrow your Bible for a moment? They just take their Bible and do it like this. First of all, it's upside down. That's got to tell me something. This must be God saying this is the wrong way to do it. Because, look. There it is. It's upside down. Next. That's not even scripture. That's commentary. So God's commenting on the fact that this is an upside down way to do things. Now, you see, I can always, I'm, heavens, I'm a lawyer. I can always figure out some way to make it make sense. But that doesn't make it accurate. Now, God won't fit in our boxes, even by those letters. But think about that box and remember that our God holds the universe in the palm of his hand. And we're going to put him in a box. And say what he can or can't do. Heaven help us. Heaven grow us up. So how do I decide what God wants me to do? If I can't give you a one, two, three instruction that will always work. What can I give you? What can we find from Brother Paul? Both from the example he lived and the teaching he delivered. Well, I would suggest several things. The first that I'm going to suggest to you is prayer. Prayer. We know much of God's will by praying for it. But prayer is an interesting thing. I've pulled out some passages I'd like you to see. Before I go too far, let me start by telling you what what the Bible has to say about magic itself. I've turned in this to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18 has Moses talking. 
And Moses, in the process of talking, says there are some things you need to know about uh, what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. He says, anyone who practices divination, that's, try, that's a seance, that's trying to divine from the dead and departed, anyone who tells fortunes, anyone who interprets omens, a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, that's someone who talks to the dead, or one who inquires of the dead. Whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. God doesn't have room for people to be going outside of Him for wisdom. Heaven forbid we go ask some dead departed spirit for what we ought to be doing when the living God is begging to hear from us and is begging to talk to us. There was no place for it. So if we don't have that type of magic, what do we have? Well, let's start with prayer. Look at Romans chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. This is Romans 1, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul doesn't say, I want to know if it's God's will that I should come. Paul is praying that somehow, by God's will, he can come. And if by God's will he cannot come, then he doesn't want to transgress the will of God and he doesn't want to come. Have you thought about praying? I'm going to cheat. I'm going to skip ahead for a minute and tell you that part of what I'm going to urge us to do is use our brains to try and figure out what God's will is. God's not into turning any of us into computers. I've got a wonderful laptop, but its personality, frankly, is real blah. Oh, it can be entertaining when I put something in it and tell it to entertain me. But that's not really unique to my computer. I can put that in another computer and get the same result. Do we really think that God made us to be computers? There's a Greek poet named Euripides. And if I can put a phrase of his into common language, this is what he said. He who knows the will of God and does not do it is stupid. That's pretty accurate. If you know the will of God and don't do it, you're stupid. God, if God tells you, I want you to wear the green socks instead of the blue socks, are you going to wear the green socks? Sure. But where did your brain grow up? You know, one of the... Uh, I, I sent an email out to our three older children who, who are out of town right now. I said, our daughter going into sixth grade wants her own Facebook page. Y'all are more familiar with Facebook than I am. Would you please weigh in and tell me what you think about it? I got an email from our son back this morning. He said, Dad, as she's going into middle school, she's going to need to learn to be responsible on a computer. 
and this is a good next step. But you need to put these filters on, you need to set up these rules, and you need to make sure she only uses Facebook out in the open where y'all are always around so that you can check on things. And with that measured responsibility, help her grow into learning how to handle a computer and the internet maturely. Now, I'm not sure if that's the direction we're going to go, but I really like the insight. And I liked his measure of thinking. You know, we don't take children and keep them sheltered until all of a sudden they're adults and then they just go hog wild. At least I hope we don't. I hope we give them more and more and more responsibility. I told our daughters as they were getting older. I said, the older you get, children, if we've got any children in here, hear me. When our two-year-olds and three-year-olds and four-year-olds messed up, it really wasn't that big of a deal. In the sense that we kept them, they're so young, they were so protected that they didn't have room for too many life-altering errors. But the older you get, you get to make more choices that truly can alter your life in bigger and bigger and bigger ways. And by the time you're old enough to get behind the wheel of a car, you can make choices that can totally change the entire route your life will go. And so what we as Christian parents need to do, and grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends, is we need to help our children learn to get more and more responsibility as they grow up. Does that make sense? So they learn how to handle it. Now, do you think God does us any differently? Do you think God is not involved in trying to help us grow and understand and develop in processing His will? So one of the things we see from Paul is the way he prays. He prays, he doesn't want to do it unless it's God's will. But he prays that if it's God's will, this is the direction he will go. It's very different approach than saying, God, please tell me whether or not I should go. Because he's planning on going. In his brain, it's the right thing to do. And so he's saying, God, this is the direction I'm going. If it's your will, let it happen. It's an interesting prayer. Look at the way Paul prays for the Ephesians in Ephesians 1. This is a prayer I've offered on behalf of my children. I've offered on behalf of countless friends, probably many of y'all as well. You find this in Ephesians 1. This is something you need to regularly pray for your children and others. You just need to pray this prayer. You need to open it up. You ought to start writing in the corner of your Bible. There's Webster and Lindsay. Y'all have a baby. You ought to write in the corner of your Bible just the dates by this verse when you pray for your daughter on this. And you start reading through it, and if you hadn't prayed for her in a month on this, you pray for her again. This is an incredible prayer. Paul says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And what's he praying? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He's called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might. 
I pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That God would let you understand who He is, what He's done, and what you ought to be doing. How to align with Him. That He'll be revealed to you in His ways and His paths. Paul's praying that for the Ephesians. May we pray that for each other. If we look at Paul's prayers, Paul's prayers are not simply for the Ephesians. Paul's praying, asking others to pray for him. Look at Colossians 4, verse 3. At the same time, pray for us. Pray that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. You know, would you please pray for me? Paul thought it important enough to ask a church to pray for him that he might do what is the will of God. He tells Philemon, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. But the point is, prayer, whether for God, first for God's will, and second, get prayer from other people. You got a decision in front of you? You've got to decide what to do? Pray about it. Sometimes this desire to have it written on the wall comes out of laziness. To the extent we don't want to do the necessary praying. Ah, he knows what's in my heart. Pray about it. Ask other people to pray about it. Number two, think about it. <gasps> We're Christians, we don't have to think. He made your brain. He gave it to you. I think he wants us to use it. I had a chance to visit with one of my favorite writers and theologians. If you ever have a chance to, to get a book by Alistair McGrath, do so. And when I was talking to him, he said, you know what's really a buzz phrase for me right now is the discipling of the mind. He said, we talk about discipling people and growing them up so that their roots grow down deeper in faith. He said, I want us to start discipling our minds. We need to be thinking about God. We need to be thinking about His will. We need to be thinking about His purposes. We need to be thinking about what He's doing. We need to be thinking about His Word. I thought, boy, that's what Paul says. Paul says in Romans 12, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now look at this, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't fit the pattern and mold of this world. But be transformed by the renewal of of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and complete or perfect Paul says this is what I want you to do I want you to work on your mind getting renewed you, the, the thinking is actually important here this is not, okay, God, I'm just going to sit here and wait till you write it on the wall. Or I'm going to sit here and wait till you plop it in my lap. I need a job. 
Okay, I'll just sit and wait for one to come. You're going to get hungry. Talk to Sandy and, and a number of you who are right now looking for jobs. But Sandy's got her name out there. She's running the, the traps. She's out there looking. Now, does she want God's will in her job? Of course. But she's not just sitting there waiting. She's engaged. She's using her mind. If God wants to renew your mind, how's He going to do it if you don't use it? How can I ever expect God to grow me up if I don't use my mind? He, when he, God put Adam and Eve in the garden... And he said, tend to the garden. Do you think he just gave them a checklist and said, do these exact things at this time? Or do you think he made provision for them and gave them enough wisdom to get out there and do what they needed to be doing? And he's there as a resource. He wants to engage. He wants us to pray. He wants us to talk to him. He wants to give us insight. He's got his spirit at work. He's got these different things happening. He's got other resources. I don't stop with two points. But in the midst of them all, our brains better be engaged and not the fallen brain. Because spiritual things are discerned spiritually. We need the spiritual discernment that God gives through His Spirit. So we're praying for wisdom and we're seeking to be wise. Make sense? So my suggestion to you is not only to pray about it, Pray for God's will. But think about what is the will of God. I'll tell you this too. Get to know God. I know Becky very, very well. And I can sometimes, not often, but sometimes I can finish her sentences. Do any of you all know someone that well? Or have you before? Where you can finish their sentences? Don't you want to know God with that level of intimacy? The closer you are to the Father, the more you know the Father, the more you're going to think like Him. The more you're going to be able to finish His sentences, the more you're going to understand His wisdom. But it's going to come from your relationship with Him. And that, by and large, is not just from prayer, and it's not just from thinking, but it's also from studying and meditating on His revelation, on His Word that He's given us in Scripture. We need to spend time in Scripture... Paul says we test to make sure we're thinking about the will of God. One of the ways the primary test is measure what's said against Scripture. Measure what's said against Scripture. That's hard to do if you don't know Scripture. Let's spend time in the Word. Let's spend time being able to, to measure things out. I love the King James translation of a passage Paul wrote Timothy. 2 Timothy 2.15 in the King James it reads as follows. Study. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's be students of the Bible. Let's study Scripture. Meditate comes from the idea of a cow chewing its cud. Kind of gross. Chews, swallows, spits it back up, chews some more. That's what we're to do with Scripture. That's the way we meditate. You chew on it. You chew on it. You think about it. 
I used to think meditation must be something where you have to sit cross-legged and do your hands like that and sing Aum and, and think about a candle. No. When, when David says in the Psalms over and over, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation night and day. He's not talking about sitting there putting his mind blank. Or sitting there just rechanting it over and over. He's talking about chewing on it. I'm going to chew on the word. I'll swallow it. I'll bring it back up a little bit later and I'm going to chew on it some more. See, we're to study scripture. We're to chew on it. Now, that does not mean that Scripture becomes our Chinese fortune sticks. There's a difference between studying Scripture and doing one of these numbers. I'm not saying God can't work through that. Heavens, He talked through a donkey in the Old Testament. He can work through your finger in the randomness of pages. But as mature Christians, that's not what we need to be doing and how we need to be seeking His Word. The apostles rolled dice to see who was going to take Judas's place before the Holy Spirit came to indwell them in the church. You don't see them rolling the dice afterwards. You don't. You see them doing other things. For example, number four, get godly counsel. Ask godly people what they think. Biggest issue confronting the New Testament church in some ways, biggest issue was whether or not these newly converted Gentiles had to become Jews to be a Christian. That was the big issue. They called a big conference on the church. Now, I've read that. It's in Acts chapter 15. We're going to look at it in just a minute. But uh, uh, I'm going to tell you what you don't find. In Acts chapter 15, you don't find them taking down the scrolls and doing a, this number. You don't find them just sitting there waiting on a divine word to be written on the wall, even though God wrote on the wall for Belshazzar in Daniel. Just because God did something once that we know of for certain in the last 5,000 years doesn't mean we should expect Him to do it every day in our lives. He did it enough to let us know he can do whatever he wants to do. But Paul's teaching us how we need to daily go about making decisions. And when there was a big decision in front of the church, do you know what they did? They all got together and they had a massive time of prayer, study. They're pulling out scriptures, reading the scriptures, talking about what they mean. They're meditating on it. They're thinking about it. They have an open debate. In fact, they say, Luke says, after much debate, here's where they landed. And when they made their decision, they wrote a letter. And here's what they said in the letter. This is Acts 15, starting with verse 28. They write this letter to the Gentiles and they say, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. And they list them out. It seemed good to the Holy... Now, they did the debating. They did the pray. They did the study. They did the counseling. They had the discussion. And when they came to the conclusion, they had enough confidence that God was working in those godly processes that they could write that it was not just their decision, but the will of God as well. 
And I want you to have that kind of confidence. I want you to have enough confidence that when you're aligned with Scripture, when you've got good godly counsel that you've measured out and tested and it makes sense, and God's working in your heart and you're close to God and you're not running from Him and you've thought through the implications and you see godly results are coming from this, you've got enough confidence to step out with the prayer, God, if this is not in your will, please redirect me. And I'll give you the promise of Proverbs before we go. First of all, keep your eyes and ears open. Because while God, God, God moves in mysterious ways, don't keep Him in a box. He might be opening doors, He might be shutting doors. There's any number of ways He can do it. So keep your eyes and ears open. But when you want to decide God's will, do like I did this week. I needed to decide His will. So I emailed out this lesson. But do you know what? On this lesson, I did it right here on this computer. I didn't sit there and say, okay, I'm going to write this lesson. And then read it to see if it says anything. I studied. I pulled out scriptures. I read some good books. I digested through information and ideas that I've had before. I carefully tried to write it with prayer as much as I could. I had others praying for me to do a good job on the lesson. A number of you pray with me. Then I sent it out to 30 people because I wanted their counsel. And I got counsel from everybody from a a Roman Catholic monk to a Church of Christ fellow who wouldn't come in our doors because he thinks we're all going to hell. And a number of people in between including some wonderful people in the Church of Christ who would come in our door and teach, including some wonderful Baptists, Presbyterians, Lutherans. I got it all across the gamut and said, would you give me your counsel? And normally when I do that, I take their counsel and I see which is I'm going to put in the paper and which I'm not. This time, I just grabbed it all, stuck it in the end of your paper. So you can see what they had to say. You can digest it. But that's me doing it. And I won't give you the insights. I will tell you that I did the things that I'm telling you. And I do them every week. This is how I prepare it. This is how I try to figure out God's will. Those four methods. Now, it's a pity I don't have time to go through these thoughts. But you've got them in front of you. You can read them. I still say the best one's Larry's anonymous one that says he asks his wife. (laughs) Coming attractions. I think we've made it through this class enough, so I'm going to tell you next week we're going to talk about ethics. And you may be thinking, ah, that's easy, that's black and white. I want to ask you, is it? You know, when B.F. Skinner wrote his book on situation ethics, his big question was if you had been in in Nazi-occupied Germany or one of the Nazi-occupied territories and you'd been hiding a Jew and the Nazi Gestapo knocked on your door and said, you got any Jews in there? Would it have been okay to lie? An interesting question. And it's one that deserves some study. And so we'll look at that next week. Here are your points from home. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Let God change who you are to be more like Him. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I want MapQuest instructions from God many times where it says go right for 0.6 miles, go left, go right, go left. And generally He doesn't do that. He gives me a compass and says go that way. And I've got to start making choices. And I find out he's saying, I want you to make choices. I want you to learn to make choices. And do you know what? I'll bless you either way you choose. 
You stay within my will here, and I'll bless you either way you choose. Oh, I've got it narrowed down to two colleges, one of my daughters says. And I looked at her and I said, have you prayed about it? Yes. Have you gotten counsel? Yes. Have you done this? Yes. Have you done that? Yes. What do you think you ought to do? What do you think you ought to do? What do you think God wants you to do? Dad, I can see it both ways. Then it's your pick, sweetie. He's telling you he'll bless you both ways if you'll honor him in the choice. By testing, you can discern what's the will of God. Here's my closing salvo. Proverbs says, In all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. You acknowledge God, you honor God, you do these things, and it's His job to make your path straight. Don't freeze out of fear of not knowing which way to go, and don't ever relegate this to the realm of magic. God's renewing your whole person including your mind. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray a blessing over our time today that you'll keep us safe as we, we go forth from here. Those who are at the house especially, Lord, I pray that you'll keep with all that's going on safety there for everybody. I pray that people will know, take from this lesson, how it is you want us to seek you out in the daily things, in the big things and the little things. Thank you for caring about us enough to grow us up in your image. In Jesus' name, amen.